Hello and welcome to the Nutrition with Rebecca podcast. This podcast is designed to empower you with the knowledge to live a healthy and happy life. My ethos is sustainability and my aim is to leave you better than I found you. I am a complete foodie, lover of all animals, recovering perfectionist, with a passion to help many achieve a life of health and well-being. I hope you take a lot from this podcast and thank you so much for tuning in. Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. I just realised literally moments before I came on here that my hair is desperate for a wash, that I haven't really put on the BB cream that I wear. So those of you who are catching this on video, you're welcome. Those of you who are listening to it, you lucky things. But there is one thing to know, I am clean. I am clean. So have I got anything to report this week aside from the fabulous questions that have come in? Tennis is going great. Loving tennis. And you know what? It's really nice to be trying a different hobby. And this was something that actually came from Rachel this week in terms of exercise. Because exercise can be seen for many as something that they're just avoiding, right? And this isn't Rachel at all. Um, But it can be very difficult for many people to start the habit of exercise because it feels really uncomfortable. It feels really challenging. And I completely resonate with that. I remember the first time I went spinning, I was literally taken to a hospital the following day because I'd pulled every single muscle in my body. However, this week, Rachel has reframed her exercise into it's a hobby. And it's a really compassionate and kind way to look at the exercise, especially because it's going to add significant value to your life. And not only that, it will align to other values as well. As an example, say you value connection, you may be connecting with a partner or with your children or with nature. If, say, you're going for a walk or if, say, you're doing swimming or if, say, you're doing a um, a workout together or workout with your friend. So that's where we hold those multiple truths. Not only is it aligning to your health, but it's aligning to other values as well. It could also align to things like uh, personal development, growth, because then you're stepping out of that comfort zone and you're doing something new. I think one of the biggest things that helped me along my journey was the recognition of if I didn't change, nothing changed. But that can feed very much into that bro mentality of grind harder. You just need to try better. You you clearly don't want it enough, which let me tell you now is no, no prerequisite for lasting change. You cannot guilt trip and shame yourself that way if you're looking at long-term behavior change. So if we're looking at a compassionate approach and we're looking at being more mindful and being more present, sort of reframing our exercise into this is a hobby I think is absolutely fabulous and something that then allow allows you the autonomy of choosing the exercise that is going to benefit you both mentally and physically the most and and I think that's it isn't it like we we see exercise and it's like oh I must go to the gym seven days a week I had this in my question box this week my PT told me um that I need to train seven days a week I'm struggling with that and and yeah, like we don't need to be doing that much and exercise very much like nutrition should add value to your life. It should make you feel better and it should 
help with fitness, help with mental well-being. So when you have complete autonomy, that gives you then the ability to choose the exercise that's going to really benefit you and really um, stimulate you. So, yeah, I'm seeing tennis as a hobby. And do you know what as well? With the bro mentality and with the bodybuilding sort of industry, it really pushes the numbers game and diet culture obviously feeds into that as well. You've got this ideology of 10,000 steps a day that is still massive in society. And then you've got the notion of going to do a resistance training session and pushing every single week for personal best. Like, yeah, obviously if you're looking for hypertrophy training and we should be stimulating our muscles, then we do need to be progressing, but it doesn't need to be a complete grind where every, like the last session of your week, you're feeling completely exhausted. So if you're seeing it as a hobby, not only are you going to be pushing yourself to, to a point that you actually enjoy and you're actually getting progress, you're going to be more consistent with it, but then you're removing this numbers game. So you practice the imperfection. You recognize that failing is part of the journey and it's part of learning. And I think that's a, a really, really nice way of looking at exercise. So I've got a tennis lesson tonight, um, pretty late, but if I miss a few balls, that's great because it allows me to learn. And it doesn't mean that that hobby is rubbish and I'm going to quit. Absolutely not. It means I'm going to keep trying and I'm going to keep going again. And I used the analogy last night with one of you guys in trying something new. And it's like the very first time you got into a car before you passed your driving test, it felt daunting, petrifying. I remember mine. I was like, and, and this my my very first car was small. It was really small. I was like, this huge thing around me. And now I have control of it. I don't like this. Now I get into my car and, and I know how to drive. Like I failed my first driving test. How many times did you fail? Three point turn. I think my first one was probably like a 21 point turn. And even still now I'm really diabolical at reverse parking, like parallel parking. And it's that, isn't it? Like everything in life is imperfect and everything in life is a challenge. Yet when it comes to nutrition and exercise, we're pushing so much for perfection and then wonder why we're falling at the expense of dichotomous thinking and all or nothing approaches. So, yeah, if you're struggling with getting to the point of doing some exercise, reframe it a little bit. Say to yourself, well, this is a hobby and I'm going to be more compassionate with myself and I'm not going to strive for numbers. Because if there is one thing that I have learned from a lot of research this week, especially when we're looking at diabetes and we're looking at menopause. Now, the statistic around the diabetes was pulled from 2019 that I dropped in the group this week in that 10% of the UK population, which equates to 7 million people, are pre-diabetic. The one thing that is going to help hugely with ageing is resistance training, is exercise, because muscles are our biggest site of glucose disposal. So you have, when you're eating, we have obviously an increase in insulin and then you have glucose circulating around your bloodstream. When that in insulin increases, you have your GLUT4 transporters. Um, there's taking the, the glucose out of the bloodstream and, and taking that to your cell membrane and your muscle surface, therefore regulating your blood glucose and your insulin. How, However, independent of the insulin, muscle stimulation, so exercising, does the same thing in terms of the GLUT4 transporters. So it does help regulate your blood glucose level, thus reducing the risk of type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular health problems, and also menopause symptoms, namely hot flushes and bladder. So, And, and it's that, isn't it? It's, it's so profound long-term, yet 
there is a lot of scarcity around exercise and a lot of fear. Now, forgive me, I will be petrified tonight about going to tennis because it's different, because it's new, it's out of my comfort zone. But I'm going to sit in that window of tolerance because I understand why I'm doing it and I've got the correct mindset behind it. So, And it's the intent behind your actions, again, which is going to be wildly different on the outcome. So if you're saying to yourself, well, I need to go and do exercise because I need to lose body weight and I need to go for a run because I need to burn calories. Shockingly, there's going to be no amount of longevity to that behavior. And when we're looking at sustainable results, we're looking at behavior change intervention. So if you reframe it and say, well, I get to go for a run, I get to move my body. I am so privileged that I live in an able body to be able to do this. I'm going to be really mindful. I'm going to listen to my body. I may not even take my headphones this week and just listen to the birds because the weather is changing and spring is coming. Shockingly, you're more likely to adhere to that for the long term. And then you don't feel absolutely exhausted mentally and physically because you haven't tried to grind harder, even though on the surface, it's still the same, isn't it, in terms of your exercise. So that was a big tangent. Anyway, um, three questions this week with, and I'm really, really excited about all of them, actually. Um, so the first one was from Rachel. So Rachel mentioned that she was concerned this time she found the most difficult. Some of her old feelings of just wanting to eat crap have resurfaced and stayed for more than one day. Now, I think too often we expect results to be like instant. We live in a world of instant gratification, right? And if you've had like a, a month, two months, three months of like, a really positive relationship with food. Perhaps your emotions have been pretty um, pretty manageable. They've been within your window of tolerance. You haven't had anything that's perhaps sent you up to that hyper-aroused or hypo-aroused. When you are rebuilding your relationship with food, it doesn't happen in a couple of months. And this is what I say to so many people. You will trip up. You will fail. You will have times when you do want to take the path of least resistance because ultimately when we start working together, take a field of grass, right? You have a path that gets you from one side of the field to the other. And you can do that pretty subconsciously. Like they're your day-to-day habits and behaviors at the minute. And then I come along and I'm like, okay, let's unlearn everything you've ever been taught before in diet culture because you fell at the expense of all of these different diets and you've not had any amount of lasting change. So we're going to look at different areas. We're going to look at behavior change interventions and we're going to look at more compassion and more mindfulness. And we're going to start to carve our own path in this field. And when we're carving the same path, we're slowly chipping away at it. But there are going to be times when you take the old path, but it's not that taking the old path is not a bad thing. In fact, I'd go as far as to say it's a really good thing because then you recognize the trigger that sent you there. And when you recognize the trigger, that gives you the opportunity to learn about what happened, learn about your emotions, be able to give those emotions names, because again, that's transformative when you're working on your relationship with food, to then navigate out of those so that when that situation or should that situation arise again, you can recognize what happened last time and you're like, oh, okay, so last time maybe I binge ate on that time because I was feeling really agitated, really aggravated, really frustrated with the situation that had happened, say, at work and I came home and I binge ate. Okay, now what did I learn from that that you perhaps 
you felt all of these things and that you came home and you just comfort ate all night but actually recognizing maybe going for a walk may have helped you to then gain some clarity on your thoughts to then respond to your feelings instead of reacting okay so next time this happens I have now the tool on my tool belt to go outside take some deep breaths and then choose later on whether I want to comfort eat but I'm choosing that with more awareness therefore it could be an emotional response uh, like emotional eating where it brings you complete comfort as opposed to that shadow comfort so that way you're learning so should this happen again and next time it happens it's like oh okay yeah I remember that so this time I'm going to navigate out of it and when you're working on your relationship with food and if you've ever suffered with binge eating emotional eating it's not like you just stop again diet culture portrays this notion that you're fixed you don't ever get fixed what you do is learn adapt and build other coping mechanisms to self-regulate because binge eating very much like alcoholism very much like drug addiction and now online shopping is dysregulation so when we're binge eating when we're emotionally eating um we're feeling that guilt we're feeling that shame and we're feeling we're left feeling empty it's currently your body's way of self-regulating But the more self-awareness we're building, the more you're understanding that that isn't in alignment with your values. So instead of being sat in that situation, what do you do? You look at other coping mechanisms. You explore further below the surface because until you can understand what your body is seeking in that moment, it's really hard then to navigate out of it. Now, I talk over and over and over about journaling and I dropped in the group yesterday the mood journaling to help you just name an emotion name the trigger and understand what happened to then navigate out of it because until you can go below the surface a lot of people are just again it's a diet culture mentality isn't it I'll just get back on track whilst that is so inspiring if you don't learn about the situation if you don't reflect on it if you don't understand what happened Getting back on track is just putting a plaster on that wound without fully cleaning it out because that will just exacerbate that feeling. You're sort of suppressing it. And I was a suppression queen for all years, years and years and years. And now I look at it in that I was putting it all in a jar and like all of a sudden this jar just explodes. So then the binge becomes greater because it's not just like an emotional response to something that's happened at that moment. You've got a catalyst of everything that's happened for the last month that you've put into this jar and haven't dealt with. And it's scary. I get that. A lot of people find it extremely daunting, especially if you have suppressed emotions for many years. And we have been taught that growing up, haven't we? Especially from a young age. Like if you ever fell over, you were told to just get up and don't worry about it. And if you've ever lived with a people pleaser or a fixer, like I lived with a fixer for years. My dad is still a fixer now. Um, You haven't been given the, the, the tools or the language or even maybe the space to talk about your emotions. And that's something that I'm personally working on now in my environment to make sure that those around me have got the space for me so that I can talk about how I'm feeling without prejudice or without my assumption that it's going to be met with derogatory tone. And it's that, isn't it? We can sometimes perceive that other people are going to judge us. So then we just hide away from it. But actually, I said this to... um, I said this to Siobhan this week. Um, those who those who matter don't care. 
but those who do matter don't care yeah so people who judge you they don't care about you therefore are they the people you want around you and the people who don't judge you they're the people who care about you they're the people who want you around for the long term and they want to support you and a lot of the time our perception is based on like old thoughts in the oh my god what 10 years ago I was judged for feeling this way but then that manifests and that manifests and you then believe that that is your current present but every single one of you who is working on your journey is miles away from where you were even six months ago but when you see it through this tinted lens of previous experiences you then go and seek out your own bias through that and it's a confirmation bias so then your actions dictate what you believe and even if you don't consciously think that subconsciously that will be happening but then that manifests to more misbeliefs around the current present moment instead of trying to unpick where those beliefs perhaps came from in terms of not being able to express how you're feeling and then build <coughs> excuse me building on a new present but journaling especially when you find times the most difficult and reflecting with me like talking to me about it which Rachel did do, and she's come out of it with more compassion, with more awareness, with more tools, with more understanding. That's when you learn long-term. So every time diet culture has said to you, you just need to lose weight, you just need to lose weight, and you found it really difficult because perhaps you've had a really tough day at work, perhaps you're going through maybe a breakup, perhaps um, something's happened in your personal life and you're really struggling with your emotions and your body's trying to regulate. We haven't the tools to get outside for fresh air, to just simply touch our bodies. I was talking to Lisa this week about self-regulation in the office because it's really difficult sometimes to just get outside for some fresh air. And I recommended having a hair bubble around her wrist and just literally pulling at that or touching her arm to just ground her to the moment and to allow her to take that pause and understand that this is a trigger and it's not fact to her because what happens is this all manifests to then it's all a me problem and it's all me like I'm not worthy I'm a sack of shit this is all happening to me and you're putting yourself in that situation instead of recognizing that these things are happening around us and they're likely out of our control. And the only thing we have control of is our actions. And we can choose our actions going forward. And the, the greater chance you have of choosing actions that do align to your values is by gaining clarity. How do we gain clarity? We gain space mentally. Because when we are feeling all of these emotions, we know that clarity is low. We know that decision making is impaired and we know there are physiological changes that are occurring within the body. So how can we slow that all down? We can look at tools and instead of just saying, oh, I'll just get back on track tomorrow, because actually that can manifest into greater amount of um, calorie consumption to begin with. Say if this happened at breakfast and I do know a lot of people who have binged at breakfast. Um, a lot of people have this assumption that it's just in an evening. It's not. It can be at any time in the day if we're saying oh um like unfortunately if we fall on the expense of high emotions and we binged at breakfast and, and then you're suppressing that and saying oh i'll just get my contract tomorrow then you're exacerbating that afternoon and that evening instead of just taking a few minutes to understand and learn about what happened about the trigger to then navigate forward so that you have more compassion and more kindness towards your your afternoon and your evening so it isn't spiraling and you're not finding yourself constantly thinking about this all day, especially when we know everybody has high commitments. Everybody has 
an abundance to do on their to-do list and we don't want to be then driving focus away from what we need to do and procrastinating all day about something that's happened instead how can we work with that um lisa so lisa is going on holiday after celebrating her birthday yesterday big birthday she's going on holiday and she mentioned that she will struggle to get back on track after holiday because she has always done so previously now <clears throat> firstly that's a self-fulfilling prophecy so and it's usually coming from previous diet approaches right in the when you followed diet culture or when you followed like an over restrictive approach you've perhaps removed food groups so you've said to yourself i'm not gonna eat carbohydrates or i'm not gonna eat sugary food i'm gonna remove things that i really enjoy from my diet because i need to lose weight because that's what diet culture has told you to do right you label foods as good and bad and then you're embarking on fat loss phase and you're going on holiday and it's that avoidance of certain foods, like, say, chocolate, sweets, bread, as an example, desserts. The avoidance of certain foods, and then you're going on holiday, and you're exposed to all of these foods, what does that do? It exacerbates the consumption of food that you're going to be eating. So I resonate with this. I did it for years. Followed diet culture messaging um, in my early 20s. Followed over-restricted approaches went on holiday and lost control at the buffet, binged. Because I'd removed all the food that I really enjoyed out of my diet and then I was exposed to it again. And it's that, isn't it? Like, oh, I'll just remove all the food out of the house as if that's going to fix you. But it doesn't. It increases fear. It increases scarcity. And then it does lead to dysregulated behaviors with nutrition when you're exposed to these foods and then a catalyst of emotions come with that failure guilt shame so why do you believe that you'll struggle to get back on track after holiday likely because you followed an over-restricted approach previously likely because you've avoided certain foods so when you've gone on holiday you've lost control okay is that fact to my current situation no because you're now following an inclusive diet where you're actively choosing foods that make you feel good physiologically and psychologically. You're including foods like chocolate, but you're also including foods like vegetables. You're eating a variety of plant-based foods and you have complete autonomy on all of your meals. You have so much more knowledge, so much more understanding. So then the scarcity around foods that you've once avoided actually has decreased hugely like you don't have this intense drive anymore to eat the cookies or intense drive to eat the the chocolate and the novelty of food reduces when you follow a flexible inclusive approach because you know you can eat a cookie on a wednesday or a friday or a sunday and you can eat chocolate on a monday so you don't no longer overeat it now there are times when you're working through your relationship with food and if you've avoided them for so long you probably will overeat them for a few days to begin with. And one thing that I used with a client who is now absolutely flourishing, she had a lot of association with biscuits in that every time she had biscuits, she ate the full pack of biscuits. And so she followed a complete avoidance, just remove them all out of her house. Um, 
But we worked through it. So we went and bought a pack of biscuits. And I think for two days, she ate a pack of biscuits. And then on the third day, she messaged me and said, I've just had two biscuits and like I don't need the packet anymore. And then on the fourth day, I think she had about four biscuits. On the fifth day, she had one. On the sixth day, she didn't have any because she was like, yeah, like they're just biscuits now. And I recognize that. And that comes from building your relationship with food, following a flexible dieting approach with an inclusive approach. Because that novelty is no longer there. You know you can have it when you want it. And you know that you have autonomy. And this is where diet plans let people down as well, because they tell you what to eat. And all a diet plan does is teaches you how to read and then make food that you're dictated to. But it does exacerbate this out of control. It does increase the fear, the scarcity around certain foods, which can then lead to dichotomous thinking. And remember, <clears throat> it's all a behavior, isn't it? So it's a behavior around going on holiday and losing that control. So how do we work on behavior change? We work on habit formation and we have been working on behavior change. And Lisa's done phenomenal with her behavior change. And now she's recognizing that the guilt is associated with behavior, not the guilt associated with the food. So a lot of people feel guilty for food, but actually the food isn't happening to us. It's our behavior. And that behavior usually comes from a misbelie misbelief and a misbelief that we've learned in society. So we unlearn that to then give ourselves more autonomy with our, with our behaviors that then do align to our values and our goals. And every choice, as I mentioned, is a decision that you get to make. And the more clarity and understanding you can give yourself in terms of like journaling, in terms of acknowledging where these beliefs come from, the more you then build on lasting fat loss, the more you then build on lasting health. And again, it's like, we don't just want to be putting that plaster on the wound first. We want to be going a little bit deeper. We want to be understanding where that over-restriction in terms of diet culture messaging has come from to then acknowledge how far you are now. Because again, what we do in these situations, because going on holiday, it's something new. We've been working together since December. Is well, last time I went on holiday, I overate. And you can't then see the small changes that you've been doing because we're seeing it correlated to our previous experience, which is why I say over and over again, the biggest changes you make are the ones you cannot see, but they are so deserving of celebrating. They are so deserving of understanding and very much like the Biscoff. Lisa was open and honest about losing control around the Biscoff. So what did we do? We lent into journaling. We reflected together to the point where she went on pancake, had pancake day and enjoyed Biscoff and has been enjoying Biscoff on porridge because she's reduced the novelty around it. But unfortunately, when we're put in these new situations, like Christmas is a one for many people, Easter, you know, these big celebrations in society where um, the media, where marketing really do ramp up the food consumption. We're then like, oh, well, two Christmases ago, I binge ate. OK, so what have we learned along this journey? What have you been doing? Like lean into those small things because they are what are going to build your confidence internally, not seeing yourself where you were six months ago last time you were on holiday.
So being more mindful and being more present when you're on holiday, of course, actively choosing foods, trying to maintain the same sort of eating pattern that you've been following at home. So three meals a day, opting for protein where you can, but it's sort of being honest and realistic with yourself. Like I know when I went away at Christmas, my protein intake was going to be really low because the protein sources that were available, I just didn't really like, but I was okay with that because it's only a very small time in like the year and like you're going away for a few days that's only a very small time in the month as well and I think leaning into things that perhaps you don't eat at home as well like I know for me personally when I go away I like to have one meal that I absolutely love so that brings about a memory for me because food is not just fuel remember it's memories it's enjoyment it's um, connection and it is a source of comfort and just taking that pause before you order. So like really looking at the menu and saying to yourself, what do I want? But then checking in with those emotions, like how am I feeling? Where am I feeling that in my body? Things like putting your knife and fork down when you're eating to recognize fullness and hunger. Because again, those who have chronically dieted do have that disruption to their ACC and their insular part of the brain. So they struggle to recognize. So just being mindful, chewing your food properly. And it sounds ridiculous, but when we do associate subconsciously food with being a label, a description, and we give it this moral weight, if we're perhaps feeling that the food we're eating is bad, we can eat it really fast <clears throat> because we're trying to eat it, but not consciously be present with it. And remember, there is no food that is good or bad. There is no food in its entirety that's going to cause you to gain weight. So just check in with that as well. So slowing the pace of eating down and they say chew your food 15 times. So like thoroughly chew it, but recognize like the taste, the smell, the texture, and then reflect on it afterwards. Even if you're not getting like your journal out, uh, obviously straight after the meal, but sort of like, what else did you get from that meal? The connection with your children, the connection with your husband, the fact that somebody else is cooking, like that's great. The privilege that we can go out and do this in society. And that's a massive, isn't it? So then we have Julia. Julia has asked about sugar, which is probably one of my favourite things to debunk in society. So for many years, we were taught to believe that sugar was the devil, right? Sugar caused type 2 diabetes and we just need to remove sugar out of our diet. What we know now from more prevalent research and more recent studies is that it's actually the collection of saturated fats in one's diet that's directly linked to things like type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular health problems, i.e. chronic illness. The reason being is our environment has changed. <clears throat> so now, everywhere you go, I mean, if I spam probably a five-mile radius around my house, there is a KFC, a McDonald's, a new Burger King, um, a Domino's, um, about an abundance of kebab shops I think there's another yeah there's another Burger King or something there's a about five Greggs they're everywhere they're within such easy reach and we're all seeking this convenience and palatable food now but it's the saturated fats that's found in these foods that are then having a negative impact on our health long term not the sugar that was once demonized as being the devil so sugar is found in a carbohydrate um, and it's found in many different foods and comes in many different forms. So we've got sucrose, glucose, fructose, um, maltose. Then you've got things like fruit juice, 
um, syrups like honey and maple syrup. And you've got high fructose, right? So high fructose is one that I do say avoid. It's found predominantly in the US. So if you've ever been to America and had their smart ketchup and I had it last year, I tasted it. It tastes well weird. It tastes vile actually. And it's been shown that those who have a lot of high fructose, and that's more than like 150 grams per day, have a reduction in insulin sensitivity, increasing the risk of developing high blood pressure and cholesterol. But like high fructose corn syrup is not available in the UK. It's banned. <laughs> so if you go to America, do try a little bit of it because it's wildly different. But yeah, high fructose corn syrup is directly linked to high levels of cholesterol and blood pressure. However, foods containing natural sugars contain a high variety of nutrients like dairy, like fruit. And despite what diet culture has led many people to believe, as I said, there are no research papers that have proven that sugar affects weight or health gain. When it is part of a diet that is not in excess of calorie needs. So if you're in a surplus, of course, you're going to gain weight. If you're eating above your energy requirements, you're going to gain weight, but you can't then demonize sugar because you can put yourself in a calorie surplus and eat lettuce all day. Sure, it will be difficult to gain weight because you have to eat a lot of lettuce. But too often we say, so-and-so makes us gain weight. Bread makes me gain weight. No, it doesn't. Nothing makes you gain weight, but eating above your energy requirements. So we have two types of sugars um complex and um single sugars however the body digests them all as as glucose so your body doesn't actually know if you're eating a banana or if you're eating haribo sweets it digests them all as glucose but the 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 reward center of the brain is different so one triggers a pleasure response in fact they both trigger a pleasure response but one is <laughs> i like to say like seeing cute animals like or like being loved you're like oh my god like if I saw a litter of puppies I'd be like oh my god where's the more puppies where's the more puppies where are more puppies and that's like the single sugar reward that we get whereas eating um, more complex carbohydrates like a banana you still get that reward but it's more slower releasing so it's like putting nitrous oxide in a mini and wanting to see all the puppies or like a slow nice releasing reward where you're feeling good psychologically and physiologically but the body digests them all as glucose. The digestion just is slightly different. Um, psychology plays a huge part in the decisions we make. Um, so we do consume more sugar than is advised because we struggle with that emotional regulation. And remember, our fullness hormone communicates back to the brain and our cravings then are directed by this fullness hormone. So the only macronutrient that can get through that blood-brain barrier is a carbohydrate carbohydrates are sugars so if we're like emotionally dysregulated or if we've got high levels of cravings because we've restricted food all day then you will want carbohydrates and you will want sugar but then you're demonizing that that sugar as being like the problem but actually it's usually a behavior or it's emotional dysregulation right so a lot of people try and go teetotal on sugar and it's completely unnecessary because you then reduce the amount of nutrients and vitamins that your body needs so i say 30 grams of dietary fiber within your diet. And that comes from a variety of plant-based foods that are complex carbohydrates. So whole grains, 
beans, um, lentils, chickpeas, fruits, vegetables, these are all carbohydrates. And to maximize gut health, to give your body adequate amount of vitamins and minerals to support things like the gut brain axes, which naturally increases your serotonin level, which is your happy hormone, you should be getting 30 grams of dietary fiber in a day minimum it also reduces bloating it also helps with bowel movements it also helps support your immune system so a lot of people say i've got ibs type symptoms they're just following a poor diet and your gut microbiome can can be damaged and it becomes damaged with high amounts of ultra processed food like saturated fats not enough dietary fiber high levels of alcohol and then you eat something and it's like, oh no, my stomach's like doing somersaults because your gut microbiome is damaged. So you can though, however, like support the healing of your gut microbiome, should we say? Um, and Karen's done that this year and that's phenomenal. She really sat with that and she gradually increased her dietary fiber to the point now where she was feeling her best. And that's really important because getting enough dietary fiber in is optimal for our body however there are a lot of changes that can actively be made to reduce the amount of refined and ultra processed sugar within our diets and making sensible of choices then allows for the moderation and balance so what i've said to a lot of people is like an 80 20 split that's what you hear and that's what we see like most frequently put out in society and that allows you to eat enough protein eat enough plant-based foods and then enjoy your food as well now some weeks that might look like 90 10 some weeks that might look like 50 50 but we should never be going completely teetotal on sugar your brain is fueled by glucose as well so if you've ever followed like a keto diet and got into a place of ketosis like that's really that's really difficult but your brain needs sugar it's the only thing that it survives on so making sure that we are getting those complex carbohydrates those slow releasing carbohydrates and then enjoyment as well because we get the psychological satisfaction from eating um sugary dense foods but we also get a psychological response from eating complex carbohydrates and your palate can change so a lot of people that like, I don't like fruit and vegetables, I don't like it. Well, if you've ate ultra processed foods for so long, yeah, your palate's now changed to that, but you're not getting that serotonin, that dopamine response anymore, the dopamine, sorry, from the palatable food. So you're seeking more. Whereas if you sit for a couple of weeks and like, look at nutrients, look at vitamins, look at fruits, look at vegetables, actually, then when you do eat, say, chocolate or a biscuit, you get this dopamine response again. It's like, oh my God, this biscuit is amazing. It tastes so good. Whereas you don't get that when you're just eating all processed foods. So one of the things that I do recommend is no more than 90 grams a day. Like that's the UK recommendation of sugar. And no more of that to be 30 grams of freed sugars. Now, a lot of people assume that they withdraw from sugar. And it's just literally... They, they're like I've got a sugar hangover and it's literally reducing your intake from more refined to more natural and then your body is just adjusting right you're not actually withdrawing from it because we're not actually addicted to it so considering sugar alternatives if you're recognizing that your sugar intake is above that 90 grams per day so maple syrup and honey are both natural sources Artificial sweeteners like aspartamin, sucralose are chemically manufactured, but they are safe to consume. They are so safe to consume. Like anybody who says aspartamin causes cancer has not seen actual evidential research. It doesn't. There is no research out there. 
adding fruit to cereal instead of sugar that can help bring about that natural sweetness now as i mentioned like no more than 30 grams of the sugar to come from freed sugars and i have this i have this debate with my dad quite a lot so freed sugar freed sugar sorry an example of it is when it's separated from the fruit hence freed therefore the fiber is lost so my dad drinks a lot of tropicana and actually tropicana has more freed sugar in it than that of a full fan a full fat can of coke so when the tropicana is being freed and it's put into this bottle it's taking away the fiber content so it's more refined and you wouldn't sit there and eat four oranges in a sitting but you might drink their juice in one large glass of orange juice which actually is more than you'd find in a soft drink so that has then got 12.3 grams of sugar in it so like one sorry one orange has got 12.3 grams of sugar in it but then if you're having a glass of tropicana it's got 43 grams of sugar in it and a can of full fat coke has got 35 grams of sugar in it so a lot of people are having like these fruit juices and these smoothies assuming that they're really healthy but they've actually got a lot of refined sugar in them and a lot of freed sugar in them so if you're thinking oh i'll have a glass of tropicana maybe have an orange and a glass of water instead because then you've got the 12.3 grams but there's 1.8 grams of fiber in that orange whereas a 500 ml glass of tropicana has got 0.8 grams of fiber in it and 43 grams of sugar so it's making those swaps then to be like, I'm still enjoying the orange because ultimately that's what you're getting from Tropicana. And then you're having some hydration as well and you're getting that from the water. And making sure that we are maximizing our dietary intake in terms of fiber, because that again is going to support the consumption of whole foods, which will then naturally decrease the amount of sugar that you're eating if we're looking at freed sugars. Now, be careful if you're looking at my fitness pal, because that categorizes everything as sugar. So if you track an apple, it will categorize that all as sugar. So if you're looking at the sugar amount on my fitness pal, pay attention to your dietary fiber as well. Save as an example, if your sugar says 95 grams and you're only in 15 grams of fiber, that suggests that you're eating more freed sugars so it's just being honest and realistic with the reporting in my fitness pal because remember it is just simply data gathering but if your sugar says 90 grams and your dietary fiber is 45 grams then that suggests a lot of the the carbohydrates you're eating is that of complex carbohydrates thus giving you the very best dietary approach hopefully enjoyment as well so I hope that helps. If you have any questions on sugar or anything that I have mentioned, please do drop me a message. And as always, I'm always here. Thank you.